You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW Sitka. Today is Tuesday, February 7th. I'm Erin Fulton with Raven News. Local governments around southeast Alaska are speaking out against a lawsuit that threatens to shut down trolling for king salmon across the region this year. The lawsuit aims to protect endangered killer whales in Washington state. Ketchikan, Wrangell, and Petersburg are set to join recent action taken by Sitka to oppose the suit, which could have devastating effects on the region's fishing fleet. KRBD's Eric Stone reports. The lawsuit from the Washington state-based Wild Fish Conservancy centers on an endangered Puget Sound population of orcas known as southern resident killer whales. Killer whales eat salmon, especially big, meaty king salmon, and the conservation group argues that federal officials haven't properly accounted for the impact the southeast king salmon fishery has on the Puget Sound orcas. Late last year, a federal judge issued a report that threatens to close the southeast king salmon fishery until the National Marine Fisheries Service comes up with a fix. So right now, the region's 1,800 trollers are facing an uncertain future, says Alaska Trollers Association Executive Director Amy Doherty. Our fleet is basically waiting to hear if they can gear up. The winter king salmon fishery is currently underway. The summer king fishery typically opens July 1st. Doherty says king salmon trolling is a $29 million chunk of the economy, and almost three times as much when you consider related economic activity like that at fish processors. Governor Mike Dunleavy said on Talk of Alaska last month that the state would fight the pending ruling. Sitka's local government has also adopted a resolution opposing the lawsuit. And later this month, borough assemblies in Ketchikan, Wrangell, and Petersburg will consider adopting resolutions of their own opposing a Chinook shutdown. Ketchikan Gateway Borough Assembly member Glenn Thompson is co-sponsoring one of the measures. It's urgent for the borough to at least take a political stand saying we oppose the shutdown of our troll industry. And we need to work through this and, uh, and resolve the issue. He says a Chinook shutdown would have ripple effects throughout the fleet and the region's economy. That's the money fish. That's the, the, the headliner. Um, and so if you shut down the Chinook fishery, it really has a major impact on all the troll fisheries. Fellow Ketchikan co-sponsor Austin Otis says the suit unfairly targets the Alaska fishing fleet. In a statement, he says the outside group has little to no knowledge about how Alaska manages its fisheries, and he says trolling is sustainable and has little impact on Puget Sound fisheries. Fishermen, processors, local governments, and community members all over Southeast are pitching in cash to help the Alaska Trollers Association fight the legal case. Darty says Sitka, Petersburg, Pelican, Port Alexander, and Craig have collectively contributed thousands, and Sitka's assembly is to considering another $25,000 contribution. We are doing everything we can to keep our fishery viable and our fishermen on the water. Um, We realize the importance to the small southeast economies and the families. Trolling is a small boat fishery, a low-impact, hook-and-line, one fish at a time, and we're very respectful of the habitat and the environment. Ketchikan isn't currently considering a contribution of its own, but Assembly Members Otis and Thompson say they are open to the idea. Reporting in Ketchikan, I'm Eric Stone. Assemblies in Ketchikan and Petersburg were scheduled to vote on their measures on Monday. Wrangell's Assembly will consider the resolution on February 14th. In Sitka, a local fundraiser at the Elks Lodge on Sunday evening reportedly raised over $22,000 for the Alaska Trollers Association Legal Defense Fund. The city of Sitka is determined to open up more land for housing in the community, but where to put it remains an open question. At a special budget meeting last Thursday, the Sitka Assembly considered a study of three possible tracts of land, only one of which it already owns. 
And on everyone's mind was figuring out how to make sure that the effort doesn't result in yet more unaffordable real estate. KCAW's Catherine Rose reports. With a proposed budget of $750,000, the study would examine three areas, the Kramer Avenue subdivision, an area of city-owned land behind Sitka High School, and state-owned land abutting the Indian River subdivision. Around 330000 of the funding would come from the city's Benchlands Capital Project Fund. Finding solutions to Sitka's affordable housing shortage is a goal of the city's strategic and comprehensive plans. And Assemblymember Tor Christensen said zeroing in on this land could bring them closer than ever to achieving it. This is the first thing I've seen in quite a while that could actually make a difference on providing something approaching affordability in Sitka. So I think this is pretty important. Planning Director Amy Ainsley said if the Assembly approved the budget for the study, it would be comprehensive and would rely heavily on geotechnical expertise and civil engineering. And it would need to answer several key questions. How much land is truly developable? What will be the cost of bringing that development? And how much housing do we get out of it? Those are sort of the the core primary questions that we need to be able to answer before we can move forward with the next steps of actually pursuing development and opening land, creating a disposal plan, creating, you know, subdivisions and all, all of those things. Ainsley said the study could be scaled down, but doing all of the analyses at once would save the city money in the long run. Mayor Stephen Eisenbay said the city had undergone land studies in the past that never made it past the study phase. And while he didn't necessarily disagree with Ainsley's process, he wanted to understand why the city needed to do the investigation rather than private industry. Why are we the ones taking this step where um, land could be sold to a developer to take all the steps? Um, It was it was stated earlier that if we do it, it can make the land cheaper. Um, If we sold a large parcel for a very inexpensive amount, I think we kind of get to that same point of inexpensive land. Uh, Of course, deed restrictions would have to be on there so that we get the desired results, because once it's out of our hands, um, there's very little we can say on that. Ainsley said she felt the city hadn't been very successful using that strategy in the past. And it has not brought a lot of fruit to bear in terms of affordable housing. We, you know, we end up kind of just creating a lot of market price lots that get absorbed at standard market prices. You know, I, I don't know that a lot of our efforts have resulted in affordable housing. If the goal is affordable housing, you know, we may need to have a stronger role in that. Assemblymember Chris Yested said he supported the study, but shared concerns with Eisenbeis about investigating the property next to the Indian River subdivision, since it's currently owned by the state. I'd be more willing to look at that if we had some sort of nod from the state that they would be willing to sell, trade, whatever it's got to happen. So I think right now I'd like to not throw assets that way until we had something figured out. Ainsley said they're also seeking state support for the study. It was included in the legislative priorities the Assembly approved last month. She said if the city does budget for it, it gives staff time between now and July 1st to work with the state on funding opportunities or possibly even a plan to secure the land. The special budget meeting was an opportunity for the Assembly to give general direction to staff about where they want the budget to end up for fiscal year 24, a process that takes several months and will likely be finalized in May. And it's a tricky year for budgeting, even with some unexpected good news. 
City Finance Director Melissa Haley said the city's sales tax revenue will exceed her conservative projections by around $2 million for the first half of the year. You know, that that's good news, but it's still challenging. We have possibility of a recession coming up and because we're still seeing growth um, and then combined with the other economic pressures, it makes uh, projections very difficult. And there are other budgeting unknowns at a national level, like how inflation could continue to impact the city's bottom line. And as municipal administrator John Leach noted, an impending fight in Congress over the federal debt ceiling, which has led toward government shutdowns in the past. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Katherine Rose. February is when school boards across the state start preparing their budgets for the school year starting next fall. And in Alaska, it looks like it's going to be another rough year. In Sitka last week, Superintendent Frank Hauser told the local school board that, projecting this year's numbers ahead to next year, the district was looking at a deficit of $2.8 million. Starting the budget process in the whole is not unusual, but $2.8 million is the largest gap the district administration and the school board have had to close in recent years. Hauser is among those who argue that the state has failed to maintain funding for schools at a level consistent with inflation. Without some action by the legislature, he told Sitka school board members that he did not see a way forward without significant cuts. It's important to remember that the majority of the SSD budget is tied up in personnel costs, so it's unrealistic to think balancing the budget will not impact staff programs or potentially the pupil-teacher ratio. Um, Any reduction that we face right now is going to have an impact on our classrooms. Hauser said Sitka would not be the unicorn and that districts across the state were facing a similar situation. He was grateful that enrollment in Sitka appeared to have stabilized. In Juneau, the school district faces a $4.7 million deficit next year. City and district leaders are gearing up for major decisions on how to balance the budget. The base student allocation will increase by $30 in July, providing a small boost in state funding, but it's not enough to keep the district out of a deficit as costs go up and enrollment goes down. At a meeting between city and district leaders in Juneau last Friday, city manager Rory Watt outlined enrollment projections for the next decade. He said the district will likely have 1,100 fewer students in 2033 than it does now. It's unsettling. Um, and it's not the it's not the demographic trend that any of us wish, um, but I think the data supports it. Statewide data shows Alaska's population is getting older, particularly in Southeast. Younger people are leaving the state, and those who stay are having fewer children. Changes of those projections are really only going to come from us believing that um, people are moving into Juneau and into the region, uh, and our population is going to grow. And I don't think anybody's really predicting that. Um, to any uh, significant degree. Elementary, middle, and high school principals shared their budget priorities with district leaders on Thursday. They included avoiding increases to class sizes and retaining reading specialists and counselors. The Juno School Board must come up with a balanced budget by March. It will go before the Assembly for final approval in May. I'm Erin Fulton, and this has been Raven News. 